0: Uh, how good are you guys for being on time? I was expecting people to be late and have to um, really hurry through things. Obviously, 45 minutes, not a lot of time, so time is going to be really important for us. So we're going to be looking to start no later than two minutes past nine, because we just don't have uh, any more time to to wait than that if we're really going to get through and press into into, uh, the content that we have each week. And really the heart behind this, I mean, uh, you guys probably know some of it um, if you're here. Come on in guys, don't be shy. Really the heart behind what we're trying to do uh, with these classes is uh, just helping you get stuck more into this, to be able to read it and enjoy it for yourself. And and so we've got a whole bunch of things planned for, for the rest of the term and year. Obviously, we're doing uh, this one here in Genesis. The next one we're going to be doing is going to be on prophecy and what does the Bible teach about prophecy specifically. And then next term, in term two, we're going to do two three-week series. Um, the first one is going to be the beginning of the doctrine of the Word, understanding what the Bible teaches about the Word of God. Um, then we're going to go from there to look at uh, some of the Old Testament prophets and how do we read those? They can be so random. Um, and then we're going to go back to the Word and a whole bunch of different things, and I'm really excited about it. But before we do anything else... Why don't I just pray and um, we'll get we'll get stuck into this morning's uh, class let's pray Lord uh, we just want to come together this morning as brothers and sisters and we want to thank you we want to thank you that you're the God that speaks to us that you haven't just left left us to our own devices with our backs turned on you but you not only came after us but you've also spoken to us and and given us your word so we can know you and understand you and Lord, we just pray this morning, just for humble hearts, Lord, help us to hear from your word and help us to come away understanding uh, more about what your word teaches and specifically about reading Genesis one and two. And um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Rossi, would I be able to ask you just to close that door if that's okay. Just not to not to not to um, not as a rebuke to anyone who's running more than two minutes late, but Just because it's a bit noisy, that's all. Perfect. Okay. So, really, um, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2. um, And we're going to be looking at, really, how do we read it? How do we get stuck into it? Um, Obviously, Genesis 1 and 2 is a controversial passage. And and Christians spend a lot of time uh, arguing about it with great heated discussions, and uh, if you've come here this morning and, you, and you're and you hoping for a, a clearer answer, like, what should I think about Genesis 1 and 2, you won't find it here. Um, that's not what I'm trying to do with these classes, that's not what we're hoping to do. What I want and what my hope is that you might take your Bible and you might be able to read it for yourself, um, having confidence in God's Word and understanding clearly what, what it teaches um, and, and having the tools to do that and knowing how to do that. Um, and one of the ways in which we're going to try and do that is through helping you to understand the right or ask the right questions so you'll see on the handouts that I've given you there's just a few different questions I'm going to be talking us through most of them today and we're going to have time to I'm going to ask you guys um, a couple of them but this is kind of the approach that I'm I'm trying to teach in these classes, the heart behind it is really asking the right questions and knowing where to look to find the right answers so you can, can read it for yourself well, the first question I want to uh, ask before we um, get stuck into actually just reading it for ourselves is, why is this passage been the center of so much controversy for Christians? Why do people uh, get so upset about it and, and have so much heated discussion about it? And obviously, it's because of the apparent findings of science and an old earth that's probably about 4.5 billion years in age. Also, the apparent findings of paleontology that show... Uh, evolutionary processes occurring over hundreds of thousands of years. And so the question for us as we read our Bible is how do we reconcile the findings of science while staying faithful to the teaching of Scripture? Or more than that, is it even right to try and reconcile them together? Like, or are we giving too much weight to science when we try and say, can we find some way to make them fit together? Um, Is this something that gives science too much weight? And so because of this... um, People get really like heated and and uh, passionate, and uh, we're really trying to take a, a humble approach, recognizing that no one sees this issue with 100% clarity. Uh, what we want to do, and really what the aim is, like I keep saying, is we want to read this for ourselves, and um, have the resources to know how to be faithful in reading it. So why don't I, I uh, open up, and you guys open up with me, to um, Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to read just chapters 1 and uh, hopefully uh, through to most of 2 as well. Actually, I might read it on my print out here. And um, as we usually do in church, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Okay, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. <coughs> chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which... Their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. the great sea creatures and every living creatures that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things. And beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to every thing that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given you green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. I might just stop there. Um, because we're going to spend most of our time actually talking about uh, verse 1-1 all the way through to 2-3. Um, so most of you will be really familiar with that. Uh, for most of us, we've we've read that passage multiple times. It's the start of every good initiative Bible reading plan that we commence but never finish. Um And uh, we're always reading that passage with much confidence, not not knowing that we're going to get quite fatigued by the time as we classically reach Leviticus. (laughs) But the question I want to begin as we really look at how do we read this for ourselves and how do we understand it is asking the question, what information might we need to faithfully read and understand this passage? That's what we're about, reading it faithfully and understanding it. Um, How can we faithfully read it and understand it? And I put to us this, this morning that there's four things that we really need, information that we really need to ask ourselves and have anytime we read any passage of Scripture. The first one is context. And that's quite simply, where are we up to in the story of the Bible? Um, many of you will be familiar with the story of Snow White and the, uh, and the dwarves, however many... Was it 12 dwarves, 7 dwarves? 7, seven dwarves, sorry. Um, Snow White and the 7 dwarves. Familiar passage. If you take just the scene where the queen mother has the apple and gives her the piece of fruit, and you take that by itself, you might think, wow, the queen is a lovely woman who's generous with fruit. Um, If you don't know the story before about all the jealousy and spite and the control over Snow White, and if you don't know the story after that the apple is full of poison, you might take the wrong application out of the story. So it's very important to know where we're up to in the story. And it's quite simply the same with the book of the Bible, the story of the Bible. We need to know what's come before and where we're up to. And obviously this is the start of, of the story of the Bible when God creates the heaven and heavens and the earth. But more than that, we need to know where are we up to in the story of this book specifically. Um, well, this book is uh, simply divided into two unequal parts. The first part is chapter 1 through to 11, which is really the the... the The story of creation, primeval history. History uh, before um, the coming of the second half of the book, which is the story of really one man, Abraham, and all his descendants. It goes from chapter 12 all the way through to uh, chapter 50. So the first half of the book is about the story of the first man, Abraham, and his descendants. The second half of the book is the story of Abraham and his descendants. Okay, Two different men um, divided into two unequal parts. One of the other ways you can divide up the book is also through this repeated expression that you'll see over and over again, um, which in Hebrew is Alech Toledot, which means these are the generations. Interestingly, the first of those comes after chapter 1 in uh, chapter 2 verse 4, what we just read. These are the generations of, and it goes over and over again, breaking up into 10 different sections. Well, we're obviously in the first half of the book, and it's a book where God is really at the center of this repeating cycle, he creates people. People, as we know, in the very beginning, turn their back on God. Say, God, we get lost. We don't want anything to do with you. And then God doesn't just leave them like that. He comes back after them to redeem them and rescue them. And we see this cycle over and over again. First in the garden, then from the garden, we see Cain and Abel, where Cain, in spite, murders his brother Abel. And then we see after that descendants of theirs, this interesting figure called Lamech comes into the scene because not only has chaos in the murder of, of Abel come into hum, humanity, but, but now this guy Lamech says, you know, if Cain was wicked, I'm, I'm tenfold what Cain was. And he collects wives as possessions for himself. And it's just this picture of wickedness and evil. And, and, um, we go on from there to this, uh, scene where, where, uh, Men are even at the end of uh, chapter 11 trying to build this name and tower for themselves and God scatters them in his judgment and his punishment of them before we introduce um, our main character Abraham uh, into the picture, that is humanly speaking. Context, where are we up to in the story? second thing we need to ask ourselves whenever we read it is purpose. Who was it written to? And who who was it written... When was it written, sorry, and who was it written to? Um, what questions is the author trying to answer? And why was it written? I think when we approach Genesis with a series of questions that are in... Uh, we often, I'm sorry, approach Genesis with a series of questions that are really important to us and our culture specifically, but not necessarily the same questions that Moses, as he writes Genesis 1,600 years before the coming of Jesus, probably roughly, um, to an ancient nomadic uh, people... Um, they're asking a different set of questions to what we're asking. And Moses and God speaking through Moses are similarly trying to answer a different set of questions. It's so easy for us to read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 as like some instruction manual for how to create a world. We want to know the details. We want to know methodology. Specifically, how did God do it? Like what were the techniques he used to do it? Over how much time did he do it? These are the questions we first come to from our culture to ask of this book but they're not the questions that Genesis is really trying to answer from us uh, for us uh, like I said it's written to this ancient nomadic people and the questions they're mainly asking are who is Yahweh? who are we? where do we come from? where are we going? and why do we suffer? where does our suffering come from? Purpose is an important thing to be considering. Thirdly, not only purpose, but genre. And by that I mean, what type of writing is this? Is it a historical account? Uh, Because you see, the Bible is full of historical accounts, but it's also full of many different types of Genres? Is it wisdom literature? Is this a proverb that we're reading? Is it a, some sort of wise saying? Is it, is it a style of writing called apocalyptic, which is all about like the end times and full of imagery and pictures and things? Is it poetry? Like, is it a song? Um, is it a prophecy? Is it a combination of all these different things? And the reason why that's important, because it affects how we read it, it affects the way and the things that we're meant to take from it. It uh, doesn't affect the truthfulness. It just affects the message that the author is trying to give to us. An example um, that came from about uh, 400, 500 years ago is around two psalms. That's Psalm 96.10, which says, Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. And the second one is Psalm 19, verse 5, that says, Like a strong man, uh, about the sun, which goes on, The sun, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Now, people... 400-500 400-500 years ago took those psalms and those verses to mean that the earth must be fixed and not rotate and must be flat. They read those psalms that those lines that the world is established it shall never be moved and the, the passage 96.10 that says the sun like a strong man runs its course to mean the earth stands still the sun moves. Now we read those and we know it's poetry and that the message is is different. The science is describing the world and things in it from our perspective. And it's meant to be a picture of the permanence of the earth and, and the reliability of the sun that moves every day. But the type of writing that we're reading makes an impact on the way we, we should read it. And so Galileo, who actually got like condemned by the church and everything, he interestingly said about his findings, because he was the guy with the telescope who figured out again that you know the the sun's in the center of the earth and we have the solar system he said my findings don't discredit the bible they discredit the expositors of the bible the people that are reading it and trying to understand it Um, it causes us to go back to the word and ask the question are we reading this right Um, because the word of god is truthful and it's authoritative and it's god's word and it will never contradict the findings of good science so, we read poetry very dif- differently. We read metaphor, like symbolism. Um, we don't press the details in the same way. We think big picture messages. Now, why is this important for us as we read Genesis 1 and 2? It's important because it contains, specifically Genesis 1 1 through to 2 3, it contains a lot of poetic language. Uh, there's, where, uh, where do we find that po- poetic language? We see in a few different things. Hebrew poetry is a bit different from our poetry, and it uses a few different techniques. The first one is repetition. We see as we read it, verse chapter one, verse three, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day, one six. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day, one thirteen, And there was evening and there was morning, the third day, one nineteen. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day, one twenty-three. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. It's repetition. It's classic Hebrew poetry. More than that, uh, the repetition of God speaking, and God said, and God saw, and God separated, and God said, and God made, and God called, and God said, and God called. Repetition, uh, a sign of, a uh, characteristic of Hebrew poetry. More than that, structure. Interestingly, the structure and the way it's framed, uh, Genesis chapter 1 through to 2 3 specifically, uh, is actually structured around verse 2. The earth was without form and was void. And similarly, in the breakup of the six days of creation, we see days 1 through to 3 about God creating form in the heavens and the earth, and days 4 through to 6 about God, for a void earth, filling the earth. There's structure. Um, day 1 we see the form of light and dark. Day 2, we see the sea separated from the sky. Day 3 is all about the formation of the form of fertile land. Then, as we move to the filling on day 4, we see day 4, lights are filled. We see day 5, animals of the sea and sky are filled. And day (laughs) 6, we see land animals specifically created and filled. Structure is important. Uh, Similarly, and interestingly... Verse 2-4, at the end of that passage, 1-1 one, one, through to 2-3, two, 2-4 two, is where we need to see the first instance of that line that structures the whole book, and these are the generations. First appears right after this section that we've been reading, right at the beginning. Um, more than that, the phrase, phraseology and the, the, the way in which language is used. If we read verse 11, and it says in, in chapter 1, And God said, Let the earth sprout veg- vegetation, plants yielding seed. Uh, Literally in Hebrew, that reads, Let the earth vegetate vegetation. Let herbs seeding seed. Let fruit trees making fruit after its own kind. Then down in verse 20, it says, literally, Let waters swarm with swarms. Um, This is poetic language. This is the language of Hebrew poetry. More than that, if we read, The the pace and meter of verses like uh, 127, we see it's even uh, in the ESV structured as poetry. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is poetry. This is poetic language. Now, what, what am I trying to say with all this? And what do we do with all this? Well, I think, I'm not going to tell you what to make of it or what to think. But I will say this. God has chosen to use poetic language in the writing of Genesis 1 and 2. And that's the way he's given to us. So my question for you to consider and think about is, how will you incorporate this truth into the way you read the passage? How will you consider and weigh the fact that he's used poetic language in the way that you read Genesis 1 uh, through to two three, okay. So that's the first three different things we need to understand. We need uh, context. We need purpose. We need to understand genre. The last thing we need to understand, uh, that I put through. That's important. Is other relevant passages. Where does the Bible do the hard work of interpreting this passage for us? And there's some classic passages out there, like uh, Acts twelve, uh, twenty six that says, "And he made from one man." Uh, sorry, Acts 17, 26, that says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. From one man, says Paul. Uh, says Luke in Acts uh, 17. Similarly, we have Romans 5, 12 to 19, where Paul talks about Adam being uh, the man through whom sin entered the world. But similarly, as through this one man, Adam, sin comes into the world, through the other man, Jesus Christ... Uh, righteousness comes and salvation comes through him. There's other passages like uh, 1 Timothy 2.12-14 where Paul is teaching about the roles of men and women and elaborates on uh, the order in which God created to say that because man was created first, um, that has something, um, and because man wasn't led into sin but uh, Eve was, that has something to do with the way in which uh, roles will be played out in the church and in the home. Also, another classic uh, passage is Exodus uh, 20, 11, in the giving of the uh, Ten Commandments. um, Moses talks about how um, the reason why we should Sabbath is because God created the heavens and the earth in six days and then rested on the seventh. Okay, So these verses, these passages, give us some sort of information by which we need to understand and use it to understand how these authors are interpreting the Bible for themselves as we read it and try to understand it. Okay, so not just what information do we need to understand it, but thirdly, how have different groups of Christians understood this passage over the years, and what are some of the strengths and weaknesses um, of the ways in which they have sought to underst- understand it, understood it, understand it. So I think there's four main views, four main views that people have. The first one is for a literal six day creation, and um, I want to you know. Because of my background I think and, and uh, my reading of it um, I, you know, I want to give people respect that think this because I know the heart is definitely you, people that, that think literal six day creation they're wanting to be faithful to read scriptures and just believe it in spite of what the world and people are saying and I think that's great I think that's uh, a beautiful thing to do um, to be uh, reading things on faith and that's the strength, strength of it that on a simple reading it seems to be the simplest face value reading of, of uh, Genesis one, 1 through 2.3. But the weakness of, of that view is uh, that it does conflict with mainstream, uh, mainstream scientific observation. And um, the reason why people say, well, uh, why is that a problem if mainstream science is saying you know, the Earth was 4.5 billion years old, if you know, there's this evolutionary process and so on and so forth... Um, and that, by the way, is, uh, at least for the age of the earth, is the, the perspective of most evangelical geologists as well of the age of the earth. So it's not just you know, a conspiracy by the scientific community. Um, we're left with the, the question of, it does seem then that God has created the earth and, and the heavens and the earth in a way that is at some level misleading. And not to say that God couldn't do that, or it's not a possibility, but I think that's a question that uh, makes this view, or is a significant weakness of this view, and I think that people that hold to that view have to wrestle with, really. Um, why is it then that there seems to be some sort of misleading in the evidence that we have uh, about the way in which um, God created the heavens and the earth? More than that, I think possibly the weakness of this view is also that maybe uh, people struggle to take into account in this view the poetic nature of one one through two three, how uh, uh, they're going to incorporate the poetic nature of the language and pressing the, the text for too much detail, specifically about timelines and so on and so forth. Um, and there's some issues, you know, that also become present as we read chapter two, for instance in the creating of man and woman the order seems to be different um, secondly um, as well in the naming of the animals on day one we've got naming all the animals in the heavens and earth the, the tasks that are put before Adam seem to be unable to be achieved in the literal 24 hours period of time so that's that's uh, strengths and weaknesses of the first point literal six day creation the second one That is pretty common these days is theistic evolution Um, that's the whole idea that there was some sort of evolutionary process but contrary to scientific evolution which says that it's all random chance there's no purpose or anything of the sort a theistic evolutionary perspective would be that there was a process of evolution you know that occurred over millions and billions of years but behind it all was God God ordering and moving and leading and structuring that process. And that, as we read Genesis, you know, uh, the poetic language and so on and so forth shouldn't be pressed too much. Um, But there was, you know, it is conceivable that God used some sort of evolutionary process over long periods of times um, to create men and women on the earth. And one of the strengths of that, in just a simple reading of the text, are things like verse 12. Um, where it talks about the earth brought forth vegetation um, each yielding to its own kind and it was so um, it seems to be something of the earth and what we see in already in existence that's bearing and yielding the, the creation of God it's, uh, itself from the earth from, from the ground itself um, the other thing obviously that is a strength of it is it fits more with the mainstream scientific discussion Um, A weakness, though, uh, of theistic evolution, and not to say that there's not ways to think about it, is the idea of a special creation of mankind. Like, Clearly, it's important in the Bible to believe that God did, in fact, create this first man, Adam, and Eve from him. All the authors of the Bible seem to understand that. It's important for understanding uh, the idea of uh, us being representatives in Adam and then in Christ later on. The entrance of sin and death into the world and so on and so forth. These were a little bit more difficult to explain uh, from a theistic evolutionary perspective. Also, um, other issues are things, for instance, the time frames for developing mastery of agriculture and other things. Paleontology says that's hundreds of thousands of years and before we get things like uh, being able to grow crops and farming and things from simple cavemen. And um, so that's that's another issue that uh, people wrestle with, and a weakness of that view—theistic evolution. Another uh, view, and the third view, main view that people have, is the idea of the, the day-age view. I guess I call it, and that is that um, that each of the days that we see in Genesis are not literal days, but uh, they're actual like periods of time in which God creates, you know, the heavens and the earth. Um, the strengths of this is yes, it's like possible within the like use of the word a yom, which means day in Hebrew, like that we could understand that that could be like a big period of time, and it fits with more with the scientific evidence of you know a really really old Earth. Um, but this, the weaknesses of that perspective are that it's not really the simplest reading of it. Um, if you're going to take it more literally. Um, And also, the order doesn't exactly... It comes close to, but it doesn't exactly fit the scientific understanding of how things were created. Um, And the real problem is in verse 16, where it says, And God made the two great lights, the greater the light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars, Um, after he's already said, let there be light. Um, So that's a potential issue with... With that, the order doesn't. Although you could potentially read that um, in Hebrew verse sixteen as God had made, uh, sorry, sorry, how to read it, and God had made two great lights, the greater light to, to rule the day and the lesser light uh, light to rule the night. So potentially you could read that as a past tense as well. Um, but that's another kind of weakness of that day age kind of view. Um, fourthly, there's the literary view, um, and that's that we where we're sort of saying. Okay, that what we're reading here more broadly in Genesis one one through to all the way through to chapter two, so not just one one to two three. It's really kind of uh, poetic literature that we shouldn't really be pressing the details too much, um, and really it's just a theological message. There's no real, you know, historical things that we're really meant to take from it. So obviously. Um, that allows for God as creator so it's teaching us things like God as creator the downfall of mankind where did that all come from um, obviously the strength of that is that it does allow for an older earth but the weaknesses are um, that it does become difficult to explain the pattern of six days of work and rest um, it, it does uh, become tricky um, where you do sort of read uh, historical reading, where people read back in the other parts of the Bible and read uh, parts or aspects of Genesis 1-2 as historical. Um, so they're the four main views. I hope what you take from that is all of them have strengths and all of them have weaknesses. Um, so if you were, came into this confused, then, then you're probably going to leave a little bit more confused again. <laughs> all that to say that there are reasons why people spend a lot of time kind of talking about this. Um, And there's problems with every position. Um, But the question that I want us really to focus in is this question. And this is the one I want to ask you for what you think. Is what truths must we hold in order to be faithful readers of this passage? What as Christians, as we read this, uh, is it necessary to believe to really read it faithfully? Um, I wonder if anyone's got some thoughts on that one. Yeah, absolutely. God is creator. He's the all-sovereign creator. More than that. Um, he's more than that. He's separate from creation. And creation depends on him. He's not just like this other people, Hindus, would believe creation is God. Um, we don't believe that. We think God is other. But more than that, he's more than other. He's not other and distant. He's other and he's sovereign. He's both other and he's all-present at the same time. He's tra- like he's trans, He's over everything, omnipresent, in all places. Um, and he created it in a way that is, is not random and left to chance, but was ordered and purposeful. Um, and because of that, there's real meaning and purpose to the creation, to the world that we see. And you know what? That's part of the problem with the scientific way of understanding it. It seems like when you, when you just take a purely scientific look at creation, you're just overwhelmed with statistics and facts. And then human history is this tiny little blip on this huge expanse of information and and facts. Whereas the Bible has it the other way around. Derek Kidner uh, writes one of the commentaries. He says um, that Scripture stands against every tendency to empty human history of meaning in presenting the tremendous acts of creation as a mere curtain raiser to the drama that slowly unfolds throughout the length of the Bible. The prologue is over in a page. There are a thousand to follow so the Bible spends you know, one or two pages on creation the rest is all about human history if you just take science it's the other way around one or two pages on human history um, the rest is just facts and figures and where this tiny blip the small blue dot in a vast universe um, so yeah absolutely God created stuff what else what, what else do we need to believe as we, as we read Genesis 1-2 must we believe yeah, and it was good. Absolutely, God created. He created it good. He created it very good. More than that, um, we understand where the problems have come about in the world. Um, it's from us. It's not just natural. Um, Fight of the fit. More than that, we need to believe that this is the infallible, of word of God. God is speaking to us when we read our Bibles. This is not just some fiction. This is God's word to us and it's truthful and it's without error and we can trust it. Um, we also need to believe things about men and women that the Bible teaches. That we're distinct from animals. We're not just on the same page and so we should be equally treating you know, the dolphins as we do people. But we don't believe that. We believe that we're unique. That we're made in the image of God himself. That we're precious to him. And um, more than that, men and women, we believe that men and women are equal in worth and significance, made to know and love God. Um, more than that, uh, things about history, um, as we've said before. you know, we, we have to believe as Christians that God did, in fact, however he did it, make the first man Adam. And Adam turned about, uh, turned his back on him and brought the curse of sin and death, just like uh, Ollie was saying, the, the earth was created good. So, they're the things I think as you read it that as Christians we have to hold on to. Well, the second thing I want to throw to you guys and ask you is that question I think it's number five on your sheet which is, what difference would it make to your life if we didn't have these chapters? Or, how would our lives look different if we stopped believing in a sovereign God? Has anyone got thoughts on that? How would I it should be on the sheet of paper you, you got at the door, that's all right. You wouldn't feel like you had purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, purposelessness, yeah. Um, you know, um, one of the things I'm going to talk about today in my sermon is um, uh, I was with a patient last week at work, and, and he said to me this. Uh, he was, you know, he's an elderly man. I'm taking him back to his room. And I said, look, how are you going? And he said, uh, probably... Um, my life is best described at the moment by the words of the song Old Man River. I don't know if you know it. And he's, I was really touched by it. He started—he sang this last verse of the song to me. And the verse that just really stuck in my head is this. He said, Tired of living, afraid of dying. But Old Man River keeps on rolling on. Old Man River keeps on rolling on. I just thought, my oh, I, I just thought, oh, I just i kind of wish i could just say mate you don't need to, like let me tell you you don't need to be afraid of dying but this is how people live tired of living afraid of dying but life just keeps going on we're just waiting for the end and yet when we read genesis 1 and 2 we we just find the world is just so different it has purpose it has meaning. We were made for something beyond ourselves. It's not as it should be. There's a God who knows us and created us, and we're we're moving towards knowing Him and enjoying Him, and He's going to fix everything that's wrong with the world, and we're going to enjoy Him forever, and it's beautiful. Um, how else? How else? What what else do we we lose without? Yeah. I think we lose like like Ollie said, the goodness of the world, the goodness yeah. of work, the goodness of creation, creating, and art, and the role that God's given yeah, beautiful, the goodness of the things that he's made, even though we've made a mess of it, there's still good in there and we can appreciate it like, you know, standing out on a beach you know, and just, like, just basking in the beauty of the world that God's made, like there is goodness there is beauty um, because we see the artistry of our God who created everything however he did that um, absolutely, it's not just a collection of randomness that has no purpose Um, Anything else? Okay. Work. Work, yeah. Work in pre-fall. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we even before the fall, we were made to work, and to uh, that was part of God's good plan for us. You know, to to cultivate, to order and nurture, and and in some way, that's meant to tell me that we're almost up the time. Um, It worked well. Um, this is part of what we were made to do. Um, so work isn't just, you know, the rat race that we do until we've got enough that we can not work. Work is something that God's made us for, but it's in the purpose of, or in the context of having him as our king, working for King Jesus. And that's where we find purpose and meaning, and there's something intrinsically good in work um, that was made by God. How else? giving of the yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were given dominion over. We were given the authority by God to rule over. You know, we shouldn't be trying to train dolphins so that they can, you know, reclaim the earth or monkeys or anything like that. Like that's our role. That's our role. We're not equals. We're not. Yeah, we shouldn't be trying to communicate with the monkeys. So, well, I know there's any harm in that, but you know, so we can understand them how best. And you know, what God's given us that role to do absolutely anything else. Made in His image. Made in His image. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, every aspect of us in some way every aspect of us that's good in some way reflects something of the image of God when it's when we're living in accordance with his goodness goodwill and purpose Um, right. well here's a question I want you to think about um, as we finish up and that's question 6 I think it should be on your sheet and that is uh, in response to Genesis 1 and 2 how did you grow in your appreciation of God's beautiful creation maybe give some examples of the goodness of his creation that God has allowed you to enjoy are there ways in which you could be a better steward of parts of his creation that's entrusted to your care well we're just going to open up for any general questions we've only got two minutes Um, and I want to just say maybe a question to think about what if anything uh, may we have missed in our study today Maybe have a think about that. Feel free to grab me any time. Like, I'm more than happy to chat about this. is more a conversation starter than anything else. And um, Maybe, is there anything that we've talked about today that maybe someone feels like, I'd love some more clarity on that. Anything that we've said that, or I've said that wasn't clear specifically, other than what perspective you should take. Now, I don't know if you meant, but now. Yeah, you yeah, go for it. Um, you believe in a literal or did they believe in a yeah Yeah, that's a really good question Um, yeah I think uh, obviously with the growth in scientific understanding that has changed the way we think about things but also has changed the way we think about the earth and you know um, an ancient Hebrew picture of the earth is that it is flat and it stands on four pillars you no, know? um, so we've obviously grown in our understanding of things. Now, I think God does communicate to us in a way we understand, using the language and the ways we talk about things, and doesn't make it untruthful. It just means He's actually addressing us in our own language, with our own understanding, in the, in the limits of what we do understand and know. Um, I think uh, over the hundreds of years, people have understood Genesis one and two as being having aspects of poetry. Um, however, I think. People also have understood most of the time as it being a more like on more surface value reading, as in that it's a literal organization of creation in terms of over a set period of time, sort of thing. Um, and I guess because they didn't really have any information to the contrary, you know, this is the creation account you have, then you just take it and well, it must mean X, Y, Z. So yeah. So I think in answer to a question, my understanding is most people, most of the time, would have read it more literally in the past. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that that is the right way to read it. Um, I think we need to do the hard questions of thinking and asking about what is it really saying and what is it not saying. Um, and the truth is that his- the history isn't primarily a scientific history not trying to give you an account. God never says this is specifically how I made this because it's not really about that. Um, there's only one instance there, there's any sort of description of creation in some sort of detail and that's the creation of the woman from the man with the taking of the rib. Um, everything else is left completely. And even then the taking of the rib but then what did you do specifically? How did you do, you know, it's not interested in that. The point and the purpose of this is God did it And it was ordered and it was structured. You've got to understand that at this time when it was being written, there were other things going around, like the Enuma Elish, which is like another creation account where it's like basically the gods had sex and it all kind of went haywire and then the earth was created. Um, There was already stuff there. The world and the earth is eternal. And then out of this conflict came the earth as we know it. Um, And Genesis really stands against that and says, no, that's not what happened. God created. this one God. He created everything. It was ordered and was purposeful. This is completely different from everything you read from the time it was written, um, because the history and the the message is theological. It's about God, really, and about His people. So, yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's something that's worth wrestling with because we don't want to just write off what people in the past have said. Um, but yeah. The questions we ask, are, I think, are a different set. I don't know if that would be the main question that people would be asking them. Any other questions? Well, we've gone over time, so why don't I pray for us? And, um, class dismissed. Feel free to just come and chat if you want more questions. But why don't I just pray for us, and then um, I'll let you guys out. Lord, uh, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you that you are the all-powerful, creating God who made everything. And Lord, we have some things that are too high for us, that are beyond our understanding, and this is one of them, Lord, and we just want to be faithful to you. We just want to faithfully understand and read your word. And Lord, I just pray that um, you would just continue through these classes to help us. Lord, help us be humble as we read Genesis 1 and 2, not to, not to be sort of lording it over people as though we have all the answers because we don't, but help us to be faithful, close, careful readers of your word that we can... Praise you and glorify you more and more as we see the beauty in your creation. Praise in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Thank Prophecy. Go for it. <laughs> yeah.